You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Megan Turner. Welcome everybody online. Can y'all give give everybody a hand online? The the other week, yeah. The other week I I was homesick and I was just so appreciative to be able to watch online. It it blessed me. Y'all blessed me. Um, I'm really excited. It's our first week in the summer and it's kickoff week for Serve Week here at Cathedral. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited about it. And I'm so excited about my message this morning because I feel like what God put on my heart, I truly believe that This morning, everyone in this room, God is going to, I feel like he's going to change our heart today. Um, Because it's really early to start this. (laughs) We're going to talk about God's people. And I think it's what he's the most passionate about. And I just have to, got overwhelmed when we were worshiping with his love and how good he is and how much he loves us. And she's going to shoot me for saying this, but one of my very, very best friends has been coming to church with me, Jen Swanson, for 19, 18 years. Well, me and Luke got married, so 18 years. And Jen texted me a few weeks ago, and she said, you're never going to guess who was at church. I said, who? She said, the third counterpart to one of our best friends. And haven't seen her in years. And she is sitting on the front row with me this morning, me and Jen Celeste. And I just want to tell you, I'm so glad you're here. And I just had to say that. I, it just goes into my message with how good God is, and he just loves us so much. So let's talk about God's people. Deal? And let's talk about Serve Week. Um, I've got a, a water because I had a monster during first service, and they didn't let me have a second one for second service. <laughs> but I, I think I've got plenty of energy. Um, I remember one time I was walking out. Actually, I think that I have I, just real-life problems right here. You know, I lost these for a few months, but now they're back. But my crying got them foggy. Okay. Um, I remember when I was pregnant and I was in that in-between stage. If you've ever had a baby, there's like the, you find out your pregnant stage, and then there's the cute bump stage. But before you get to the cute bump, it's just where nothing fits. And it's not working, and you're frustrated, but you're ready for the bump, but you're not there. And we were walking out of my mom's front door to go to church, and what I what I had on was tight and uncomfortable. And I met my mom on the porch as we were walking out. And I was like, that shirt would be perfect for me. And she was like, well, you can have it. And I was like, no, right now. I need it right now. And so we turned around and we walked back in to the house. And she took it off and she gave it to me. And I wore her, ch- her shirt to church. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because scripture says, Jesus actually says in scripture, that if someone asks for your shirt, you give them your shirt and you give them your jacket too. Why would he say that? Because people matter so much to him. And I just want to say, if you're here this morning and cathedral is your home and, or you know Jesus, um, this message is for you. If you're here and you're visiting and you're our guest or you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're just checking it out, this service is not to you, it is about you. And so I just want you to receive it as a gift. You'll get a good insight as to how we feel about you. But if you are a member, this is your church, or you are a Christian, this is, I want to talk to you because we are not called 
at church. The church is not called to be a spiritual consumer. We are called to be spiritual contributors. And we, we as a church, you and I, this body, this building, who we are, what we do, we don't exist for the church. We exist for the world, for everybody that's not in here. That's our goal. And there are, um, there are people that just, they need help. And they can't do everything on your own. Have you ever tried to do something on your own and you just were not meant to do it by yourself? Or do that on your own. I remember one time my youngest was like three years old. And I walked in and she was trying to give herself her own piercings. I mean, she had like a needle this big. And sometimes I feel like us trying to do stuff on our own looks kind of like she does in this video when she's trying to give herself her own piercings. Look at this. What are you doing? You were trying to pierce your own ears? Uh-huh. Well, you can't do that, Bug. I used to do it. What all do you want pierced? My ears, my nose, my belly. <laughs> if you remember anything from today's message, don't pierce your own ears, nose, or belly. Um, Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 3 says, Thou shall have no other gods before me. Um, See, our natural bend, just the natural human tendency, is to put what we would tend to put as a god above God is ourself. We're just naturally selfish human beings. If you, if you have not noticed that or you don't believe me, spend some time with a 1, 2, 3, or 13-year-old, and you will quickly realize that we are wired to just be concerned about us. And so what I love about God is that God set up a spiritual function inside of us to help keep that from happening. And what he did was he called us to serve other people. Do you remember a long time ago, I kind of showed my age with a younger generation whenever I mentioned this, but do you remember when you would have the, the old computers and you had to run the Norton's antivirus? And, and my mind always had like 27 viruses and it would shut down after I ran the antivirus. But it's kind of like serving is the antivirus for our spiritual tendency to become selfish. And, but what is so unique is the way that God set it up is that he designed us to serve other people But when we, and he could have just said, serve other people because I called you to and because they're my people and they need it. But instead of just doing that, he said, I'm going to call you to serve other people. And when you do, lives are going to be changed. But the first life that's going to be changed when you serve is your own. It fills you up like nothing else when you do for other people. And what I love is I feel like that this so reflects the character of who God is, that he would set it up that way. And when we look at serving, really we look at the life of Jesus because he came and was the perfect example of serving. And honestly, I could take all of the stories of all 33 years that he lived on this earth and every single recorded story that we have would fit and would be applicable to this message. But I actually wanna hone in on um, the night before Jesus' death. And what he did. Now, I don't know about you, but the night before a big event, I feel like you have to do something. You know, I remember the night before I had my firstborn and I had to vacuum and vacuum and vacuum the whole house over. And I think Clemson was playing in like the national champion. What were they? They were playing in something crucially important. And I was like, babe, if you could just help me vacuum 
Um, it's just a weird thing. But Jesus, the night before, it's not just a big event. This is the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And mind you, he knows what's coming. And he knows the pain that he's going to endure. He knows the suffering. And so we have this picture of what Jesus does. And I'm going to pick up in John 13. It's the Passover feast, which is uh, they're all at a, a dinner together, him and his disciples. And John 13, 3 through 5 says, Jesus got up. Um, from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his, their, the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So get this picture. They're sitting at dinner. He knows what's coming. Now, interesting is back then they would sit at a really low table that was approximately like six inches off of the floor. I feel like that's a genius idea, especially for like Sunday lunch, because you know you're going to take a nap afterwards. So if you go ahead and eat, like laying down, you can just doze off right then. They're, but they're all eating. And it's interesting because right before this happens, right before Jesus washes their feet, the disciples, they get in a fight. They stir up this argument about who is the greatest of all of them. Now, I can relate to this because this is an argument that would happen in my house like me and my sister and my mom and dad, because I am 100% convinced that I am my dad's favorite. I know that I am my dad's favorite. My sister thinks that she is my dad's favorite, and my mom thinks that she is my dad's favorite. Now, my dad says my mom is his favorite, and he loves me and Macy the same, but if you've ever been in the room with him and I walk in the room, <laughs> and the word on the street is that happened for the very first time he saw me, so... Even Luke is convinced. I'm like, babe, did you see how my dad responded? So that's what the disciples are doing are just that. They're like, no, I'm the greatest. And so Jesus, I can see him being like, you got to be kidding me. Like this is the night before. This is happening tomorrow. I've been with you guys for the last three years, putting into you and growing you and teaching you. And now here we've come and this is what we're going to fight over. Um, I had this visual, you know, when I was doing this, I, I tend to think in visuals. Um, and, you, you know, Misty is going to sing later in the service, and you heard Risha lead worship. And so they're oftentimes on stage leading. And I can just imagine the night before Easter service, and we know it's a big service, and them getting in a scuffle in the middle of rehearsal over which one is the greater singer, you know, and Misty being like, no, 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 it is me, Risha. And Risha's like, no, no, Misty, it is me. And can you imagine how the air would be sucked out of the room if I was like, girls, both of you come here. Give me your feet. And I just got down and washed their feet. I mean, it would suck the air right out of the room, right? So I feel like that's exactly what Jesus did. And I, what happened is Jesus saw proud hearts and dirty feet. And what he thought is there's a lesson here. And the way that they would lay at that low table, because they were laying, the, the feet were up, you know, close to where the food was. And so there was always a servant that would come wash the feet. And it was really one of the lowest jobs that someone could have, but it was very important. And there clearly wasn't someone that had done this. And so Jesus, because of that thought, this is a great, this is one of the last lessons I'm going to leave them with, is the greatest the greatest, if you really want to know who the greatest is, it's the one that does the serving. Um, and I just want to take a time out here and say something really quick. Oftentimes, because we're wired to serve, and the way your spirit operates is when you serve, when you give, you are filled up. When we go through stuff in our personal life, or we hit a hardship, or we hit a hard time, it is so natural for you to feel like, oh, I need to pull back from serving because I'm going through something. 
But let me just tell you, even though your serving might need to change in the capacity, I promise you that is a ploy of the enemy because serving is what you were made to do. It is what gives you life. It is what fills you up. It's what keeps you connected. It's what keeps people around you. So if you've pulled out because you're going through something, let me just pause right here and say on the night that Jesus was having the heart going through the toughest thing, he chose to serve. So if you're going through something tough and you need him, I encourage you, step in and serve and watch what happens. Um, so Jesus bends down. He he washes their feet. And what I want to talk to you today is if that's what we're called to do is to be a servant like that, then I feel like we need to really look at that word servant. And, you know, the New Testament is written in Greek. And sometimes you have to take the word. We'll have one word that we use that's translated. And the Greek will have lots of different meanings. And sometimes in order to understand what that means, if Jesus called us to be a servant, we have to understand what servant means. So I want us to look at a few of those words. It's kind of like love. So love has four different words in the Greek, but we translate them all as love. But one of the words is eros. So that is an erotic love. So what I'm going to say is I feel very different when I say I love that man right there on the front row than I do anybody else in this room. I erotically, I erosly love that one. Different than I love chicken wings, but I love chicken wings. (laughs) But do you get my point? Like it doesn't adequately express to you if I'm like, oh, I love chicken wings and I love Luke. That doesn't, it's, but when you break down the words, so I want to break apart the word servant for you. And of the seven, I just want to give you three words. When Jesus, three Greek words that when Jesus said, I want you to be a servant, what that means. So the first one of them that I want to look at is doulos. Doulos is used, this is the word servant in Mark 9, 35. Jesus is sitting down, he calls the disciples and he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Now, the best word, translation word that we would have for this is a bond servant. Um, a newer translation would be slave, but neither one, that doesn't, it doesn't paint the correct picture because let me help you out. Back then, when, when Jesus is talking and he's using this word, if you had a debt that you owed someone, you could actually go and be their servant to pay off the debt, So if you had done something, if you had done something great for me or I had had to borrow a lump sum of money for you, I could say, I'm going to come work for you and be your servant back. But there was a law that no one could work longer than seven years in order to pay off a debt. So in seven years, if you gave seven years, you had paid it off. A bond servant, this kind of servant, is the servant that would say, I've worked seven years, but I'm not going anywhere. Because I understand the gravity of how much I am indebted to you. I understand what I owe you. So instead of walking away now on my seventh year, I'm actually going to take, they would take a piercing and it would say, I'm going to commit the rest of my life to serving you. I recognize how much I owe you. And so when Jesus has called us to be a doulos servant. And the the lifetime commitment here is that Jesus is asking us to spend the rest of our life serving his people. That kind of servant. That from the day, till the day I take my last breath to whatever nurse or hospice or whoever's around me, God, would you please let me be the kind, that's the kind of servant that Jesus was until his very last breath, a doulos servant. The second one is diakonos. 
Diakonos is used in Matthew 20, 26 through 27. It says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Diakonos is actually where we get the word deacon from. And so the best translation here for this word is if you could think about like a waiter, so that kind of a server. So it's the kind of a servant that is looking, and they have five or six tables. And they're like, oh, that table is low on tea. That table needs a new glass of water. That table just sat down. Let me get them some bread. This table is done with meal. They need a dessert. That table, I can clean up their plates. Jesus is asking us to be the kind of servant, and he's saying, if you want to be great, you want to be great at this serving thing that I've called you to do, what you're wired to do, what's going to fulfill you, what's going to make you happy. If you want to be great at that, then you need to be this kind of a servant, the kind that is always looking for God's opportunity to be used. Oftentimes people will say, I don't know how to serve or I don't know what to serve or I don't know what to do. And this would say back to you, find an empty glass and fill it. Find a need and fill it. And the lifetime commitment here is let's spend the rest of our life focused on others. The rest of our life. I remember... Whenever I was 14, I went on our first missions trip and we went to Guatemala. And then the next year, I was 15, we went to Mexico. And right outside of Mexico City, we went to a place called um, the City of Flying Pigs. And it was, I mean, I don't even know how to describe how big it was. I mean, it was as far as the eye could see, and it was a landfill. And it had open sewage running through the middle of it um, where they would pick up dead animals, they too would take that to the landfill. So the open sewage would have dead animals that were swollen. The stench would literally burn the hairs inside of your nose. And there were hundreds of thousands of people that called the city of flying pigs home. There was a man that we met in the city that had never stepped foot out of the dump and he was in his 40s. It was all he ever knew. And I think whenever we have this kind of servant eyes, you begin to see people differently. I remember coming back saying, I'll never, at 15 years old, I'll never look at needing a pair of jeans or wanting something materialistic the same ever. Something shifted to where I, you recognize that's more important. People are more important. And so committing to spend the rest of our life with eyes to see where we, we need to help. The third is huperites. And this is um, the, the translation for this would be an under rower. And this is in Acts 26. And this is interesting because Jesus has died and he's gone, he's resurrected and gone to heaven. And the apostle Paul is talking and he's actually talking to a king. And he's telling the king who obviously the king, you know, gets everything he wants. It's all about him. And Paul says, you're never going to believe what this Jesus told me, who is the king of kings. Jesus said this. Now get up and stand on your own feet. I have appeared to you and I have appointed you as a servant. There's that word, as a servant, and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see. So Jesus, he's, he's saying to the king, Jesus told me, I've come, I've done it, I've showed you. Now you get up on your feet, now you do it. This is your, it's us, me, you, Paul. It is us as Christians to now take this for what we've seen and all the great things we're going to see. It's our responsibility to be the servants to make that happen. And this word, under rower, how many of you have ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? Okay, if you haven't, take like three days and go look at it. It's long. And they, they're, Ben-Hur, he's in the gallery, the bottom of the boat, and they are all rowing. But the problem is they cannot see anything. They're just in the bottom. And they row to this beat like a, a bump, bump, bump. And then it'll be 
they'll change it to like battle, battle speed row. And it's like bump, bump, bump. But however they row is how the boat will go. And they are the movers of the boat. They make it happen. That's this word. That's what Jesus is saying. The apostle Paul is saying, Jesus told me, we saw him do it. Now it's up to us. We are the rowers that make the boat go. We are the servants that now move the ship. But here's the problem. The under rower is in the bottom of the boat. Nobody will ever see his face and nobody will ever know his name. And so there's a way that we serve that is not about us, but it's about the moving of the boat. It's about getting the, understanding the bigger picture. And so the takeaway for that is that in our serving that we magnify Jesus, not ourselves. And so now that we have a really good picture of when Jesus says, I want you to be a servant and serve other people, that's what he means, is that we look for opportunity. We spend our lifetime doing it, and that it's not about us, that it's about, it's about glorifying him. That is what the heart of a servant looks like. So if I'm going to be that, how, do, how, Megan, do I make my heart line up with that? I get it. I get that that's what I'm called to do. I get that that's what Jesus did. I get that that's my purpose, and it will fill me up. What do I do to be that? I want to give you three things really quick as we go. The first is you put service over status. Philippians 2, 2 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. conceit. Conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Um, I said this first service, and I actually didn't see him in between services, but I, I said, I know that he's not going to be happy because he would have never wanted me to share his name, but there is... So many people here that serve in so many different capacities. People serve with their time, with their money, with their gifts, with their talents, with their praying. There's so many ways to serve. I mean, it's so broad. There are people that come in on the week, and those papers in the back of your chairs, they put those in the back of your chairs. They pray over every seat. Um, there are people that will offer, you know, people that will call, I need to know a team that can't go on the, on the forward trip. I want to sponsor a team. I mean, they're just, what, what do I need to do to make it happen? They're under rowing. Um, I actually could think I could do multiple services on just highlighting how incredible the people that give here are. Um, but for the sake of this point of service over status, there is a, a guy here, and his name is Jesse Riviera. And Jesse just relentlessly gives of his time and of his money. It's something that God just put on his heart. And what's interesting is I was having a conversation with him, and he said, no, no, no. He said, you don't, don't tell me how blessed you are. I need you to hear how blessed I am. Last year, we were going to Forward, which is our youth trip that we're heading out to next week. And I cannot wait, by the way. I can Teenagers are the most fun. And we're taking, how many? 167, I think. I'm, I'm just beside myself. And there, yeah. So when we went, when we were heading out to go last year, Jesse showed up. And Jesse gave me multiple envelopes of, I mean, manila envelopes. And inside the manila envelopes were white envelopes. And they were jam-packed full with $5 bills. I mean, y'all, you know, there were so many $5 bills you could not have to the point where I was like, Lord, this is a very large amount of money. This is a weighty responsibility. And so it took me a few days that I prayed. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? What's your purpose for this money? This man that was putting his service over status, didn't want anybody to know his name, didn't want who. And I thought I could buy all the kids ice cream. You know, like, what, what could I do? And I felt very strongly, and the Lord led me in this direction. Our teenagers grow up in a really tough world. There's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of self-image issues. It's just tough. 
And my goal, our goal was to create an atmosphere of nothing but kindness. And so they will hear me say it when we leave to go to forward. There is one, we don't take phones and that's, yeah, let me just, it's a, always an issue. And then all my teens on the way home are like, I'm so glad we didn't bring phones because here, here's the thing is when, when nobody can get in touch with them, you know, we have a lot of even like rough home life and rough situation. I don't want them getting difficult texts. I don't want them seeing social media. I don't want them seeing images of other people. I don't want them seeing anything other than what God wants them to see. And I want them to be able to connect. And so then I can control the atmosphere. Does that make sense? So we go. And so I, I said, before we go, I said, I, somebody has given us all of these $5 bills. And so we're going to create a culture of kindness on this trip. And we're not going to say a single negative thing. Nothing negative is to come out of your mouth to anyone else. Like I don't even want, you're not even allowed to say, oh, that's weird because that sounds a little bit mean. And y'all, I watched these teens create this culture of kindness and the kindness cash was a start. So I said, every time I see you being kind, you get $5. There was no way, the kindness the guys were fighting over who was going to get off of the elevator for the girls. They were fighting over who's going to carry the coolers. The, we sat in a room after a session, and they just stood up one at a time, one telling each other, this is what I see in you. This is what I see in you. I want to build you up. This is how. It was, it was incredible. It was life-changing. And I came back, and I'm like, Jesse, your service over status changed 150 teenagers' life, and they'll never forget what happened. It was just what he was called to do. I don't know, you might be called to pack a diaper bag for the Crisis Pregnancy Center, but we are all called at some point in some way to put service over status. Jesse, same guy. Then I'm gonna move on after Jesse because he's probably crawling. If you see somebody under the seats right, right now, it's probably. Um, was at work, so he's, he, Jesse's part of guest services team and somebody needed a Band-Aid a few weeks ago. And the, get the first aid kit out happened to be out of Band-Aids. Wednesday morning, Jesse shows up at church and has six brand new first aid kits. Doesn't say anything to anybody and just sticks the first aid kits everywhere he knows someone might need it. Find a need and just satisfy it. That's what we're called to be. Number two, put character over comfort. Um, a lot of you know the story, but I want to point out a few things about the story. Luke 10, 30 through 7. Now let me, um, this, I'll just read and then I'll go there. Um, Jesus is telling a, a, a parable. So he's telling like an example, like an illustrated service, if you will. Jesus is telling it. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, I want you to notice in this next line, it says, a priest happened to be going down the road. Now, I want you to imagine how you would say that, okay? Because think somebody is dying or someone is sick, and then you would say, oh my goodness, there happened to be a doctor. Like, wow, that's incredible, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Oh man, there's someone that has been robbed and hurt and is in need, and there happens to be a priest. So you would think, oh, problem solved, right? There happens to be a, a priest going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passes on the other side of the road. So too, a Levite. Now, a Levite is someone that would work in a temple. So one of you. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw, and he passed on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, time out. The, the person that Jesus is talking about that has been robbed is a Jewish person. The Jewish people and the Samaritans have the most intense racial tension you can ever imagine. You would never speak to, wave, be in the same area at all. A Samaritan to a Jew. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he has to leave. He gives that's two, that's money. And he gives that to the innkeeper and he says, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And so Jesus asked the question to the group of people he's talking to. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And of course, the experts, religious people, the law, they replied, the one who had mercy on him. Obviously, that's the right one. And Jesus told him, go and sign up for Serve Week at Cathedral. (laughs) No, Jesus said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what society says about them. It doesn't matter what other people do because you're my child and that's my child. You do, this is what you do. You give of your own donkey and of your own oil and of your own wine and of your own time and of your own money. And that's where you invest is with my people. That's my heart. The first two men asked the question, if I stop and I help him, what could happen to me? And the third man asked the question, what, if I, what happens if I don't? And I need you to ask yourself, Cathedral, in this day and age, with all that's going on in society, what happens if we don't? How many children that God loves unconditionally that he gave his life for don't know that love? How many people are sitting, who's sitting right beside you right now that doesn't know Jesus? What if when Risha says, turn around and you greet five people, what if someone walked through that doors and they thought to themselves, oh, I'll never be accepted at church. If they know what I did, my sins are too ugly, my skeletons in my closet are too great. And what if you're part of serving on the guest service team and the hug and the greeting or the meet and greet when you turn around and you say, I am so glad you're here. That's, That's what we're called to do, is to do that to all of them. And we have to ask ourselves, what if we don't? What if when service is over, you don't give that person beside you or around you the love that they need and they don't walk back in the door? It's our, Jesus said, you're the rower now. You're the rower. I've gone. Now this is your response. They're my people. They're my children. They're my life. They're my love. They're my everything. And I'm going to put them in your hands. I need you to do your job. And the last one is worship over wealth. Now don't get me wrong. I know this is somewhere over. You know, I love a shoe and I love a fingernail. Me and destiny. But at some point, we have to become aware of where we're storing up our, our, our riches. And worship, what does true worship look like? Here's what true worship looks like. I, think, I thought worship was great this morning. And I love worship. I love it when we build. I love it when we drop out and we do the drums only part. I say to Sean every time, can we do a drums only part? And I think he's like, we can't do that every song every week. (laughs) Let me tell you what, what worship, what I think worship looks like. In Matthew 25, 34, it's talking about the the final judgment. And it says that there's going to be a day and Jesus is going to come back and he's, all of us are going to be standing before him and he's going to be sitting on the right hand of God and he's going to be sitting there and God will say, it will, the Bible says that it will separate the people like sheep and like goats and that there will be a group of people that will be moved to the right side and it says this, and then the king will say to those on the right side, come, come, you who are blessed. Now Jesus is saying this to people while he's here. He's telling a group of people this and he's saying, 
the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for for you from the creation of the world. Here we go. For I was hungry. Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones, they reply to Jesus. They say back to Jesus, Lord, no, 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 no way. When did we ever see you hungry and not feed you or thirsty and not give you something to drink or a stranger and not show you hospitality or naked and not give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and not visit you? And this is what Jesus says. The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. I want to get something really straight here. How do you get to heaven? It has nothing to do with your works. You ask Jesus to come into your heart and you forgive your sins, period. That's it. But when you do that and you confess with your heart that you love Jesus and you accept him, can you love him and accept him and not love his people? can you? Because I'm going to tell you, that man right there, he loves me. He loves me so well. And if you told him that you love him, you love him, Luke. I, I want to be there for you. You're my, you're my bro. It's, it's you. And something happened to him and you let me sit and go starving and not eat and not take care of those three little girls. You'd be hard pressed to convince him you loved him. So it's not about guilt. It's not a matter of It's just a matter of, do you love him? Because if you love him, then you love his people. And if you love him, then you serve his people. And listen to me, if you wanna see something changed, serve it. If you wanna see your marriage changed, serve your spouse. If you wanna see your friendships changed, serve your friends. If you wanna see your community changed, serve your community. If you want to change, serve. It's the greatest opportunity you will ever have to give someone that asks for a shirt, a shirt and a jacket too. Let me tell you, if you're a part of cathedral and you're not serving, you're missing out. You're missing out on one of the greatest gifts because Corinthians, Paul says that we all have a place. We all have a gift and that we all need each other. So I wanna do this. I'm gonna ask Risha to come for just a second. This wasn't planned, so we added this because I felt it during worship. I was working on the message and it, I just kept continually being moved at, at the opportunity that we get to be Jesus to people and the opportunity to get to do for Serve Week what we get to do. I mean, the privilege to call a nursing home and to say, hey, we're doing a Serve Week at our church and we just wanna know, are there any elderly people there that are lonely? Are there any elderly people there that don't have someone to come visit them? Because we've got some people that would love to just come visit. That shocks people. That's not what the rest of the world's doing. When you realize what the rest of the world's doing, you realize how easy it is to be a light into this world. And so I just want us to take one moment, two minutes, and I just want us to say, God, would you change my heart? Would you, open, would you help me have spiritual eyes to see where the needs are? When someone needs a hi or a hello or a door open, would you help me to see? Would you change my heart for people to be like 
yours? Would you help me see them the way you see them? So I was worshiping through this song. And so I'm going to ask Rachel, which, will you just come out? Would you just sing? Just And would you just close your eyes? And would you just put your hands on your knee, on your knees and just set them out? And would you just have a moment with the Lord and just ask him to align your heart with his heart as she sings this? as we sit with our arms and our hands facing you. Father God, I just pray that as a church, as your children, Father God, would you help us to see them the way you see them? Father God, would you help us become aware that every single eye we look into is your child and every person that we pass is an opportunity to be you too. Father God, would you help us to not miss an opportunity? Father, that we as cathedral, would you help us to keep our hearts here, Father God? That we are not spiritual consumers, but that we would be spiritual contributors, Lord. And Lord, we take up with our hands, we take the paddle, and not to our glory, but to yours, we will row the boat. And we will serve, and we will serve, and we will love, and we will serve. And every person that walks in that door is welcome, and they are loved, and they are wanted. And every person we pass in our neighborhood, in our street, and at the grocery store, Father God, help us this morning to walk out of here seeing everything and everyone different. Lord, we make room for you. I make room for you in my finances. I make room for you in my house. I make room for you in my car. I make room for you at my dinner table, Lord. Whoever it is that you want me to go after. Lord, you went to hell and back. And someone needs to know that someone's willing to do that for them. And I'll carry the message. We, Father God, commit this morning to carry the message. Thank you. And we humbly take on the responsibility, Lord, and we carry it. And we will worship you every step of the way. What an honor it is to serve you, Lord. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.